Hey all, welcome to Film Suck, a Patreon podcast in which we ponder the work of art in the age of crap cinema. I'm Eileen Jones. I'm Dolores McElroy. And today we're mulling over the new Ethan Cohen film Drive Away Dolls, which is co-written and produced by his wife and editor, uh, Trisha Cook, instead of his usual partner in filmmaking, his brother Joel Cohen. Um, this film was partly inspired by Trisha Cook's fond memories of her youthful experience in lesbian bars, um, as she as she describes it, back when there used to be lesbian bars everywhere, and she really laments the 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 current you know much dwindled you know dwindled down numbers of lesbian bars. <laughs> um, but at any rate, this is a raucous comedy with a with film noir elements about two friends who are both lesbians who go on a road trip vacation to Tallahassee, Florida. Um, in a rental car driveaway, unaware that they're carrying packages apparently belonging to some violent goons who are soon hot on their trail. It's a movie set in the early 2000s, according to Cook. That's when they first started writing this. Um, um, though it's being described in a lot of reviews as a film set in 1999, I'm presuming because there's a Y2K um, mm-hmm. kind of jokey Y2K reference. Um, but either way, it's evoking um, the history of wild, loose, you know, loose, wild, and highly entertaining genre films like from the past, like the sex romp Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice from 1969, um, B-movie exploitation films like Russ Meyer's Faster Pussycat Kill Kill at 65, <laughs> and the black exploitation films of the 1970s, of which Ethan Cohen um, says he's very, very fond. And, and numbers of others they're trying to revive you know the 70s is probably what's going to occur to you more than more than a lot of other um, eras of filmmaking mm-hmm. um so just a quick description of of a little more of what's going on one of the two friends who's played by a um, margaret qualley who you probably know from the, um, the series the leftovers or perhaps once upon a time in hollywood she also had a sm- very small part in poor things um, she's been around for a few years, though she's very young. Um, she plays Jamie, who's goofy and kinetic with an exuberant <laughs> love life and poor impulse control. She <laughs> makes an enemy of her cop girlfriend, Suki, played by Be- Beanie Feldstein, by cheating on her in the opening scene. Um, she's thrown <laughs> out of the apartment she shared with Suki. And so Jamie decides to hit the road with her uptight intellectual friend, Marion, who is played by Geraldine um, Viswanathan. I hope I'm saying that right. I think it's Viswanathan. This one often. Oh, I've always got the accent wrong. Typical American. <laughs> this one often, um, who was, I guess it was in something called Blockers, and that's where Ethan Cohen saw her, um, and they decided immediately she was um, perfect. I haven't seen it, but I, I'll have to check it out because she's great too. Both Quali and um, this one often are great. Um, <clears throat> anyway. So Jamie basically wants to, you know, go have um, high-spirited adventures um, <laughs> peppered with lots of lesbian bars and casual sex. She's especially earnestly trying to get her her much more uptight friend um, laid on this trip. But Marion <laughs> has different ideas. She's planning to visit her evangelically religious aunt in Tallahassee and go birding with her. She also brings <laughs> along her copy of Henry James's The European, which is her idea of an evening's um, entertainment. Um, so. Okay, so that gives you, you know, a full enough picture of what's basically going on. So takes, basic takes. What did you think, Dolores? Okay, well, Eileen, you're going to be the our most valuable player here because you're a Cohen Brothers expert. Yeah. So I'm just, this is true. I, it's, very, it's very true, and I'm just coming at this as a humble lesbian who uh, really just I really enjoyed this. Uh, I saw it in a movie theater with like maybe 26 other people, and like me and this old Filipino guy were the only ones laughing. <laughs> I had a hell of a time. It was just like, it was really fun. Uh, I, I, there were laughs, you know, all the laugh out loud moments all the way through. Mm-hmm. For me, the film was about discovering Margaret Qualley. Um, mm-hmm. I've seen her a couple times before, but man, was she enjoyable. She puts on this wacky ass Texas accent. Um, I heard that she studied tapes of Ann Richards, <laughs> Governor <laughs> Ann Richards in Texas <laughs> to master it. She's so funny, totally watchable. I want all of her outfits. The yeah, she, <laughs> she looks, great. She looks yeah. so great the whole time. Mm. Um, always wearing like a big Western butt belt buckle, you know, mm. an artfully cut off T-shirt. She looks great. Um, I loved that it was not remotely reverent about like queerness. Mm. <laughs> They're just like, you know, uh, M- Margaret Qualley's character. Um, oh, God, what's her name? Sorry, Jamie. Jamie's mm. character is, yeah, mm. she's just a cad, you know, up for a good time, which is fine. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. yeah. 
and and Marion's just you know uptight and needs to loosen up, and mm-hmm. you know no one like obsessed over the I don't know gender politics of this or and that was so freeing. Oh my god, it was mm-hmm. so nice. Like they even poke fun at <laughs> Marion's past where she dates some woman who's like, what is she a member of now or attends now conferences? Yes. <laughs> she says wait was she working for al gore oh no she just looked like al gore (laughs) 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 and she's basically like you know what you're not gonna have a hot time if you're just talking about dismantling the patriarchy (laughs) so (laughs) it was super funny and i thought but still yeah i mean it, it, it does in the best sort of like genre tradition by being light it has a lot of great things to say like um, the phallus is something that's like deconstructed. Like there's a whole joke about dildos. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> but mm-hmm. part of the adventure is that Jamie and <clears throat> God, what are their names? Jesus. Oh, um, Marion. Jamie Marian. and Marion. Thank you. Jamie and Marion drive this car and it turns out being a car that contains a very important uh package uh pardon the pun um yeah yeah, two important two important things and one Mm. um one is a suitcase filled uh full of like molds uh like you know plaster molds Mm. um dildos basically of like Mm. the penises of men who became very powerful who became Mm. like politicians or men who run like fortune 500 companies Mm -hmm. and so there's this joke of like phallus phallus who who's got the phallus, um, mm-hmm. which is really funny. You know, it like, it, it like denaturalizes the phallus. It removes mm-hmm. it from like the male body and just makes it this like symbol of power and pleasure that literally circulates from character mm-hmm. to character. <laughs> so, you know, if you want to get sexual politics about it, like it's pretty cool. <laughs> so, um, I, you know, I, I uh, so the, the pair, they're going to be spoilers. So if you don't want mm. it spoiled, uh, lock, yes. you know, shut it down right now. Mm-hmm. Okay, spoiler, spoiler, incoming. So the girls do get together romantically, and that's cute. Um, it's not something that you're, like, emotionally invested in, you know? And maybe that's fine, you know? Mm-hmm. I, at, at the end, I wasn't like, oh, I wasn't, like, particularly moved. I was just like, you know, whatever. Uh, it's like, it's a film that I didn't have a lot of strong emotions about, but mm-hmm. I would totally see it again, because all the jokes are that good. Like, I, it's, it's so funny that I think it will bear a repeat viewing. And, you know, the look of the thing is great. It's a, it's really fun energy, and I just, like, like to look at Margaret Qualley and her outfits. So, yeah. there's a lot there that's pleasurable. Um, but yeah, my overall take is, like, it was great beanie feldstein is hysterical Hysterical. oh my god as the cop girlfriend amazing um there are tons of cameos that Mm -hmm. like you know add or don't add meaning i don't know like matt damon plays a conservative politician and his his penis is one of the like molds um and i you know i i didn't think i thought he was sort of forgettable um but whatever you know um i'd be in this quite good if you give him a humorous part but he didn't he didn't seem to have much to do here he didn't have a lot to do yeah some of the other cameos are much more like pedro pascal gets a very tiny part but he really seems to enjoy it (laughs) yeah and I think I think any everyone was just like, oh, Ethan Cohen's making a movie. Like, sure, I'll be in it. You know, it's very much that. Yes, very yeah. much. Yeah. And Miley Cyrus has this yes. wild cameo. She yeah. lives in, I mean, in, in true Cohen style. And I think Eileen can pack this for us more. Mm-hmm. Um, there are like a series of scene changes uh, that are yes. psychedelic, <laughs> and the the sort of like you know, I don't know. Uh, I, I can't really describe it, but it's like being in a lava lamp or a kaleidoscope. Yeah. And it's psychedelic like you'd see in certain 70s movies <laughs> or TV yeah. shows or the banana splits. <laughs> if you remember that kid's show, it was exactly. a thing that would just crop up. And it's really attesting to the loose, the deliberate looseness. Because it, sometimes it just happens. There's these crazy transitions and you're like, what the hell am I looking at? Yeah. <laughs> you don't even know for a while what the hell you're looking at. It turns out to be a reference that's part of the plot, but you don't know that the first couple times. Anyway, carry right. on. Right. No, no. But it, yeah. So it was. Um, so Miley Cyrus is at the heart of that looking 
every bit like Jane, Jane Fonda. I just think Miley mm-hmm. Cyrus like is becoming Jane Fonda. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that's a really fun cameo. And yeah, I mean, hey, I like the road. I like that they're fleeing the Northeast. Like Margaret, mm-hmm. Jamie's character has this great line, like they're all repressed in New England. That is why we are headed the other way. <laughs> they're going to Tallahassee, Florida to visit Marion's aunt. Um, mm-hmm. And there are lots of jokes at the expense of Tallahassee. Mm-hmm. Marion constantly had to defend it um yeah it's, it's really just, nice there are spanish oaks or whatever yeah. spanish moss or something. <laughs> it's great it's great and i love like it's look the thing about the road trip movie is like i love that they said it 20 years ago or 25 years ago because cell phones make everything far less romantic mm-hmm. way more exciting to have to use a payphone and a map mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, the romance right. of the road is preserved than, mm-hmm. you know, navigating, looking up um, like five star places to eat on your stupid phone. Like, yeah, yeah. good, good call. Good call. So, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to wrap up what I have to say here. Eileen, what did you Ooh. think? Well, of course, you know, of course, I'm such a sucker for all things Cohen. I really enjoyed it. I was very careful not to read about it before I went, hmm. which I I usually try to do with their films, but in this case, it seemed especially important to me. I mean, I had been waiting for this film for a while. The the, the preview had been running for just ages. I, I think I saw, first saw it a year and a half ago or something. Um, and it looked, you know, funny to me. Um, I guess it was postponed. It's original scheduling by the SAG after strike is what mm-hmm. um, pushed it. At least that's what they're claiming. But at any rate, so it's finally arrived. And I, of course, really, really enjoyed it. And I had such fun. <laughs> that I was very pleased to then go home and read up on it and discover that at least to see to, to see Ethan Cohen and Trisha Cook tell it, this was the whole goal. And <laughs> I will quote Ethan Cohen because <laughs> he has a heart's cry for our pious, too self-serious era. Some he gets asked in one of the, you know the interviews he's he's doing to publicize the film. You know, have you? He, they're asked, did you deliberately set out to make an unimportant movie? And he said, well, that's an important thing to do. There's an underserved audience for unimportant movies, is our belief. God, don't you want to go see a movie? I mean, not to name names. Obviously, you'll never get us to. But important movies like the contemporary ones? God, why? 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 And it just so beautifully sums up my own feelings. I was like, Damn straight. This is exactly. And I love that he won't name. But here we are in award season. Exactly. Legend by important movies. Some of them <laughs> are so incompetent and stupid, but are being treated with reverence. And here I won't name names. I've already named them. Um, <laughs> that it's just like, yes, I, I want to go to movies. There are movies that are fast and fun and hilarious and not like they all have to be that way we're in no danger of that believe me how many yeah. times do you go see movies and be like oh thank god that was a movie you know <laughs> it was fun to watch I, i'm not tortured by it i was just it was just meant to be delightful and and fleeting <laughs> and then maybe i'll watch it later because i remember it was funny or whatever we are <laughs> just in a star on a starvation diet as far as that kind of thing now it's crazy so anyway knowing that it was just like we just you know, Ethan Cohen literally said, I'm afraid, it's a version of this, I'm paraphrasing, of what the reception is going to be, because I don't know if people go, if people have basically been trained out of going to see movies for fun. Mm-hmm. And, well, if, you know, I'll jump ahead to a point I was going to make later, the movie's doing terribly. I mean, really badly. <laughs> like, as far as its initial take, it's way low. It's in the nice. rock bottom. I mean, there's already, you know, one site that tracks box office is already saying it's roadkill. Oh, that ain't right. Yeah, it's it's if you go by Rotten Tomatoes, and why not? It's as accurate as anything else we got. It's 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 audience scores are thirty six percent. That is just hideous. That means audiences are hating this thing, mm-hmm. and it's got very very mixed reviews. All the you know quote unquote important critics of the most major um, you know magazines, papers, whatever. Uh, they're bad reviews, like really bad, and and puzzling ones. Like I've seen this described as a leaden comedy in which nothing is working and nothing is funny. And I'm like, look, Not I can true. see you don't like the looseness, you don't like the rough edges on it, you don't like that it just like does those wild. There are that are literally that are literally you know <laughs> pans that get twisted 
They twist yeah. the image of a pan. That's an edit you never see. You know, there's right. just crazy, loose, what's fun kind of qualities to it. I could see, you know, some people just not loving that or not liking the tone of this or whatever. But just the idea that you'd say it's not funny is just bizarre. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. not at all funny. There are no laughs here. Nothing works. I'm just like, what are you looking at? And then That's I even cool. have read, though, though Margaret Qualley is deservedly getting, if anything's getting praise, she is. Manola Dargis of the New York Times gives it a quite a, quite a pan, claims that they're both lackluster and ineffective. That's mad. Come on. Even if you hate the movie <laughs> and you somehow don't think it's at all funny, they're... And the, the timing they have, the charisma they have, they're mm-hmm. both wonderful to look at, especially Qual. She just is, is, you know, Dolores has already emphasized. She's just that. She's a star. Yep. She's a star. And it's just a matter of how long it's going to take her to become a major star. Mm-hmm. Um, but both of them are, are really delightful um, and hilarious and just just so gifted. So knocking this out of the park that I just am personally offended. <laughs> <laughs> Well, fine. This isn't the Me movie too. It's it's loose. It's ru- it's deliberately, very deliberately loose. You know, rough edges and all that. And you don't love that. Frankly, I'm at a loss, and I'm saying that a little disingenuously. My theory <laughs> is there's a, an upfront, in-your-face, pretty explicit sex scene right off the bat in the opening sequence. Yeah, <laughs> involving the Jamie character and the and the the young woman she's cheating with on her, you know, her cop girlfriend, living girlfriend. It's like, especially if you're follow Cohen movies, they don't do sex scenes mm. hardly ever. I mean, when they do a zany one, like in say Fargo, it's very brief, not that explicit. They're they're okay, but frankly, I'll have to say I don't think they're very gifted at it. <laughs> <laughs> in blood simple like one of the weekly scenes is the sex scene that's it's supposed to be a film noir it's supposed to be a very hot sex scene about these two people who find each other physically irresistible you just have to go well let's just say they do <laughs> so usually i think wisely i think they realize this like they could do a humorous one but they usually don't and they just tend to avoid them so to see this one being is all out like right off the bat and then numbers of them through and you know whole scenes built around them was like, damn, <laughs> even Bowen <laughs> is stepping out. And, um, but I can't help but wonder if that's what's driving like audiences practically fleeing and, and just panning the thing, just hating it. Yeah, perhaps like, I can offer some Twitter uh, ethnographic research here. Yeah. So, <laughs> so let me first say the lesbians are loving it. Okay, <laughs> so lesbian Twitter, everyone like made a date to go see this film. Everyone saw it. I've seen tweets like "Driveaway Dolls, no notes, perfection." <laughs> so, <laughs> the lesbians are loving this shit from Gen Z till millennial to whatever. Mm. Um, uh, but I've also seen tweets. Um, uh, from not lesbians. <laughs> uh, yeah. And let me say also usually not women. <laughs> and they usually the tweets are some of the more self-aware say things for say things like, mm, you know, I'm not big on sex comedies. <laughs> uh, and uh, I admit this is maybe not for me, but I, I had a hard time watching it. And, you know, the, the rest are just like quite obviously misogynist. You know, they're just mm-hmm. like, why so much lesbian sex? And it's yeah. like, I don't know, grow up, man. Like, have you seen American films? Like, there's so much sex everywhere. This is... Is we so funny the wall sex. We have whole genres, all those stupid softcore thrillers and shit. Yeah, constantly. Oh, Girl anyway. up. Girl up. <laughs> no, it's so embarrassing to, that this is the reaction. Really? Yeah. What year is it? And and they're they're really funny, and they're totally all built into this. There's nothing like gratuitous here. It's all about like, let's get out on the road. Let's make sure you get it on, Marion. <laughs> let's yeah. be life affirming. It's all the whole movie is is dealing with this. Um, it's so quite sweet. You, like, there's no nudity, right? Like, really? Well, there's there's a little bit. Um, okay, but like in the opening scene, you see the, oh, right, you see the right, right. Yeah, um, you know, oh, but there are a couple of shots. <laughs> Okay. But, you know, it's clear what the sex acts are clear, what's going on. And, you know, when there's, you know, scenes with sex with the dildo and there's, you know, there's not <laughs> yeah. a lot, there's not nudity for the much at all with the, with the leads, tiny, right. tiny indications. It's much more discreet. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, but like, I don't know. I'm just, I find this, that appalling, but I, I can't help it. That some of these reactions are so odd. And yeah. you just have to see the film to judge for yourself how odd it is. I mean, there's just mm-hmm. such funny things. Bill Camp plays plays the guy who works at the driveway rental car place. <laughs> He's so funny. He has the most affectless. <laughs> it's like, Curly. hello, welcome. <laughs> this is Curly. Welcome with any rebukes, anyone who calls him Curly, even though it says Curly on his shirt. Yeah. <laughs> He refers to himself in the same in, in, in the third person at one point. Won't won't anybody save Curly? It's just <laughs> I, don't, I can't convey that, what a little gem of a character in a performance, which is very Cohen. You know they, they you know they're very film noiry in that if you know your film noir, so many memorable tiny performances of oddball, unique, idiosyncratic characters peppered throughout. That's something they tend to hold to, and you can really look forward to that kind of thing if you like, you know, if you like their movies. Um, so there's just all these little gems like this, this throughout. Plus, the leads are just hilarious. So it's and there's so many good lines. I just yeah, yeah but it's it's just maddening to me. Um, but it was to me, it was really nice to just see because you know, the Coens are very formal. Even mm. though critics are often stupid about them and don't recognize <laughs> their formality. I actually read a review and it was by some top critic, like a New York Timesy person, might have been A.O. Scott, who said that that a serious man doesn't have any significant structure. <laughs> what? Man, it's got, you know, literally three rabbis. It opens on a little fable. It's got three rabbis. It's divided into chap. You're just like, how much structure does a film need before you recognize the structure? Oh, um, my God. Oh, no. This is the kind of thing. Like, p- people are blind to the Coens in, in America. Even Weird. people who like the Coens are blind to the Coens. It makes yeah. me <laughs> So I'm always having to write reviews going, look, you're going to read shit from some critics saying this blithering nonsense or that. They even like the film and they just are, it's like they're, they have no idea what's going on. Let me just, just try to straighten out a few points. <laughs> but this is really loose. This is, this is really, it's not like there's no structure or anything like that, but deliberately the road movie, you know, taking off. It's both got a loose episodic structure built in that's just according to the, the, the processes of the road, but he's, he, it's like they're deliberately untwisting um, aspects that most Conan films would like nail down tight, mm. and they're not. Um, even saying that, we'll get into some extended thematic work later <laughs> built around <laughs> the Europeans, Henry James, the Europeans, <laughs> not only is Marion reading, but you know, someone she never meets is also reading. He's called the chief. He's the one kind of directing the, you know, the goons <laughs> who are who are fumbling around trying to recover the the, the packages, so mm-hmm. to speak. Um, <laughs> he, he's a very elegant man, very beautifully dressed, played by Coleman Domingo, and mm-hmm. he's reading also the Europeans. <laughs> so after a while, you're like, yeah, okay, there's something to do with the Europeans. I guess I better look this up. Mm-hmm. But at any rate, uh, you know, it's a delightful little film, but. It's very deliberately a B movie. Like it's trying for that quality. So if you, if, and you know, who are we kidding? How many of you are like mad formalists who live for structure? Bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so why this would be treated like, oh, I don't know. This is just crap and none of it's working because it's, 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 it's loose. I, I don't know. But it's getting some terrible, terrible reviews, which I think you should ignore. I think you should see it. Yeah, you should definitely ignore those. Short-sighted. And also, like, do you hate fun? If you don't hate fun, (laughs) then don't don't agree with the review. (laughs) I know. Can you tell us, did you find a link? Like, what's with the Europeans? Like, No, I I just looked, you know, I I did read a bunch of Henry James, especially in my youth. And I'm a huge fan of Turn of the Screw, but that's considered atypical of him. Mm -hmm. It's actually a ghost story. So that's selling out a little by by having thrills built in. It's wonderful. Um, But I've read a bunch of his. I just happened happened to, I never happened to have read the Europeans. Um, so I had to look it up, but it's very typical Henry James in, in its broader themes. It's, it's, I'll just take, tell you the plot quickly. And if you've read any James, you'll know right away. Like, oh yeah, 
It's about a couple of European cousins, um, a young man and a young woman. They come, they, for various reasons, they come to America to, to, to visit their New England cousins. And so, of course, you get the Europe versus the old world versus new world, Europe versus America um, encounters that are, you know, part of virtually everything um, Henry James does. Um, so, you know, the irony is, as the plot unfolds, that the new world people are the far more rigid traditionalists, far more invested in kind of dutiful morality and upholding standards that have to do with traditions, et cetera, et cetera. They're much more hidebound sexually. Um, you know, um, they're much also much less um, kind of poised um, and elegant and self-assured than the Europeans and aware of it. So there's very different outcome. I can't remember. I think the, the, the two, two, two visitors, I think are brother and sister. Um, they're going to have very different results um, in what happens. He's going to wind up staying. She's going to wind up returning to Europe. Um, they're both going to get involved in romances with their New England, um, with New England people. But, right. okay. but what it sounds like is no matter which way it goes, if you decide you can't bear it here and you go back, if you decide to stay, if you, however you decided it, the encounter between the, these opposed seemingly opposed sets of values has the potential to liberate just through trying to negotiate the, this, this difference in values. The more mm-hmm. obviously liberating way is the European way. Mm-hmm. They're more worldly, they're more tolerant, they're more open sexually, they're, you know, there's a whole bunch of things. But the suggestion seems to be there, there are elements of, you know, what's going on in New England culture that are worth, you know, taking seriously as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's that. From what I can tell, it's one of his, even he thought it was kind of thin. It's a very short novel. Henry James accepted his brother William's typically harsh criticism that it was a little thin. Um, And he (laughs) he said, yeah, it probably was. But, you know, very typical Henry James, you know, um, kind of themes that he he worked out in in much greater detail and nuance and all the rest of it in other novels. So anyway, in the, in the, the, the film, you can loosely, I think it's p- partly a joke. The Coens are both very erudite, very, very well read, but at the same time, they're very impious about it all. So <laughs> throwing in the, the Henry James, the European, <laughs> is as much there to get laughs as anything. And of course, you know, Jamie is very funny about the fact that she was forced to read Portrait of a Lady in high school or something. Right, and right. has never read a book since because he just, Henry James just put her off reading forever. <laughs> Which is most people's reaction to Henry James, man. He's tough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very tough. Ah, um, anyway, um, but you can get a loose split of Europeans in values and, and approaches to life versus New Englanders in the film. So it's not only Jamie and versus Marion, with Jamie obviously being the European right. <laughs> and Marion the New Englander. But there's two the two goons, the muscle, who were sent to, to retrieve the boxes, <laughs> uh, or the packages rather, um, are are also exemplifying <laughs> Europe versus in a much more kind of hilarious, front hilarious way, in that they're two goons <laughs> right. who are going to do this by violence. But one of them has got, you know, clearly been through therapy or something, so he's never stopping to lecture the other one. So it's right. Arlen, and I think it's, I forget the other one's name, Flint, I think? Hmm. Um, anyway, he's lecturing the other one constantly on being not open enough. His The other one's whole, the New Englander's rigidity is he just doesn't even know how to relate to humans. He has no, <laughs> he has no bend in him, so he just starts shooting. He just falls out his gun, speaking of right. fellas, automatically. And so he's, he's, this guy, is, his partner is constantly trying to persuade him in a hectoring kind of way to become more tolerant, more open to life experience, because he'll be here. <laughs> Spoiler alert, you find out in the end that there was a sexual encounter between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Um, that the, I think if it's Flint, he's, he can't accept it. <laughs> <But that's laughs> what happened. Because again, New England. Whereas <laughs> Arliss is the European. So, well, you can imagine for yourself what happens when you know, two heavily armed men <laughs> are trying to negotiate this 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 abyss in values. Well, it's probably not going to go so well. So you've got the less hopeful pair 
as a kind of darkly funny shadow to the more hopeful pair in the foreground, which is Jamie and Mary. Right. Um, you know, and when it comes to the, 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 the Coleman Domingo chief character, you know, he seems to have the kind of elegant self-presentation and sense of himself as a more sophisticated figure than mm-hmm. the company he's keeping. So, you know, he gets into a limo at one point and has a little, like, silk pillow he puts behind his head. He's very beautifully dressed. He's all he can do to kind of hold himself back from, you know, being loud and violent because, of course, the bumbling, there's hilarious bumblings. The, the, the two goons get outwitted literally by, what is it, a, a high school volleyball team or yeah. something? Some like rugby team or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a rugby team. Like yeah. completely sit on this wild goose chase to a series of 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 of, of juke joints through yeah. the south. <laughs> because, you know, they're 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 not great at their jobs. <laughs> um so anyway, and which is very typical of the Coens, you know, basically the, the bumbling crim- male criminals is very typical of, of the types of films they make. Mm-hmm. You know, from film noir, they often borrow the crime, the crimes that are going horribly wrong <laughs> and can't <laughs> succeed and there's going to be a high body count. But then they, this isn't certainly isn't the first time they've married film noir to comedy, screwball comedy um, kind of tropes, which they do here. So anyway, that's the, the, the short, the short notes on <laughs> what the Europeans is doing there. Um, what no, thank you. Anything beyond just being kind of a hilarious eyebrow thing that's being blocked. <laughs> And the other thing I'll just note, and this is very obscure. I wouldn't have even known this, except that I read the the New York Times review by Manola Dargis, who who herself had uh, had access to the production notes. Um, <laughs> so she basically says the the character played by M- Miley Cyrus in the psychedelic uh, you know interludes is representing an artist named Cynthia Alberton Alberton um, who is who's was called Cynthia Plastercaster. Because <laughs> What she, her art was in the 60s, she, she achieved a certain amount of celebrity, I'm quoting here, for the phallic cast she made of various notables, including rock gods like Jimi Hendrix. Kiss recorded a song about her. The Kinsey Institute owns a collection of her penises, some cast <laughs> and friends. <laughs> Apparently there's a shout out to Cynthia Alberton in the, in the final like, crawl that says, you know, we remember... <laughs> Yeah. A, a little tribute to Cynthia Plastercaster about whom I knew nothing. That's um, beautiful. Yeah, the Coens have a lot of, again, this very kind of <laughs> practical so knowledge of crazy <laughs> things in, you know, the, the last that happened in America in the last hundred years. Um, so good. Yeah. So anyway, that's, again, the kind of, there's just these little embedded crazinesses <laughs> in the film that they're, you know, they're asking you to go with. Just like, relax, roll with it. <laughs> it's another psychedelic interlude. <laughs> that's fine. You just keep rolling. Um, it's so good. And they finally, I mean, okay, Eileen, help us make sense of this. Like, mm. so they finally end up, do they end up in Tallahassee? Is that where the hotel is? I think in the end, or they, they're in Tallahassee because remember the ant comes to pick them up. The ant comes. Okay, yeah. right. So they make it to Tall- Tallahassee, and it's like they bring their chaotic lesbian energy to like the heart of family values. You know, like evangelical Christian right. hard right territory. They're staying at a hotel called El Conquistador, <laughs> <laughs> and they meet. <laughs> they meet, and there's like always this. Um, there, there's like a statue of Ponce de Leon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and before that, when they were in Philadelphia, I always forget they started in Philadelphia. Oh, there, right. was a, there was the there was uh what's his face william penn wasn't it william penn oh okay penn. you're right you're right <laughs> yes. so they and then so and obviously they meet uh they have to deal with a conservative politician played by matt damon who wants mm-hmm. to bury his his freewheeling past um and mm-hmm. he wants his dick back (laughs) (laughs) so like what do you think like what sense do we make of that are they like i don't know uh are they bust i i can't really the fact that it's set 20 years ago is confusing to me Mm -hmm. and when they they sit down with with matt damon and he says like who are you and they say we're democrats (laughs) political theme throughout that is so broad stroke and ludicrous 
<laughs> but it's so prevalent you can't ignore it but on the other hand it's impossible to do anything but laugh um <laughs> as far as i can tell anyway but yes throughout you've got references to the very broad stroke left you know kind of left liberal democrat attitudes that they're bringing and the you know extreme right wing so the the you know clearly the box of, of plaster cast dicks they're all right wing <laughs> types you just know they are i mean from their descriptions again a fortune 500 type this particular senator who's a, a ultra right wing florida family values dude or that's how he's yeah. presenting himself now there's a supreme court justice there but you just you know from from the reaction of matt damon's character when he basically comes to get to get his property back <laughs> he basically makes some insane speech but very solemn almost with tears in his eyes saying this was never meant for you people like, like yeah. you lowly you pores you were never supposed to have access yes <laughs> we, we didn't deserve this commodification yes. <laughs> so he makes this ridiculous like solemn speech <laughs> about how horrifying it is that they should ever but it is kind of inherently conservative in the very idea that the mere squalid people would ever possession <laughs> of the fallacies of power. Yes. <laughs> you know, a proper power. It's almost Edward, you know, what's his face? Edmund Burke, they're always quoting. It's almost Edmund Burke lamenting tearfully over the fact that, the, you know, the the great unwashed crowds of French, of the French <laughs> people ever touched, much less killed Marie Antoinette. She should have commanded automatic reverence. And you're like, really? <laughs> should she? But yeah, like bedrock. Damn, they didn't know the royalness of it. They should have known never, they could never touch her. So oh it's that God. kind of idiocy being spouted. Um, and it does run, you know, throughout. There's references throughout. You know, one of the last lines, or might be the last line, is they've decided to go to, where is it, Massachusetts, because Massachusetts has just passed a gay, you know, gay marriage. It just legalized gay yeah. marriage. Yeah, and, and there's the aunt who's a completely conservative Christian, yeah. um, and you know Jamie has just been cautioned. Watch what you say. She's very religious, and we wait for the for the for the aunt's response. And she finally, mm -hmm. what does she finally say? Her the last word is well. That's I think it's innovative. Yes, exactly, exactly. And that's innovative, and that's all she mm -hmm. says. So she's right. ultimately less judge, you know, less judgmental, and then they would have thought that's going to be a problem. And then, then they just she's in between them, and they just drive off happily together. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know to go visit some Spanish yoga. I don't know. Yeah, um, but yeah. So so there's just jokes, jokes, jokes throughout. There's like Chelsea Clinton reference. There's mm -hmm. there's just constant, um, and it's hard to know how to take how it's so broad stroke. It's hard to know. For most movies, just it's hilarious, but still, yeah. it does seem important. Um, in that, it seems like if you want to map it over the Europeans again, you know, there's a certain amount of life affirming going on, you know, on the dem shall we say the liberal democratic side, yeah, going on on the right wing, you know, conservative side. Okay, that makes sense. Thank you I for bringing so. it home. Stroke <laughs> <laughs> and meant to be funny, but it seems to be percolating along the same broad opposition that's going on here. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It, it was a what like the Y two K thing kept freaking me out. I was like, are they saying that there it, it, there was true hope and we bungled it, <laughs> or I you know I don't know. Um, yeah, the line I'm, is something like Jamie is is she meets Marion in a lesbian bar. This is way early at the very, toward the very beginning. And she gets, Jamie gets up there to take part in like auctioning off, you know, licks. People are going to get to come up and lick <laughs> the various parts of her body. Very typical. Yeah. And she says, you know, something about, okay, you can just put away your Y2K fears, something like that. Uh -huh. Is that what yes. she says? She, yes. It's very fast. It goes by very fast, but everyone is seized on it is, Oh, that must be when this is happening. Um, yeah. 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 yeah uh, as a kind of marker. But yeah, you do. It does kind of make you wonder, and the looseness of it, the the free and easy quality, the the jokiness about Republicans versus Democrat, all seem lost in time now. You can Very see true. how they, they would set it back. Like yeah, you can't set it forward. You can't do that. 
today is easily. <laughs> no, God, that's so depressing. Can't even imagine. <laughs> so many more events and some of the more practical ones, like, yeah, road trips, huh? Kind of fucked because now, yeah, you plot everything on your phone and that's hardly cinematic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, thr- yeah, the thrill uh, of discovery you know, is like not political as... political situation does not allow for these kind of broad stroke easy laughs. Uh, there's just so many, so many things that aren't going to work as well. And, you know, the Coens are are very weirdly precise in loving to do period, even if it's only a few years before. Right. A famous example is The Big Lebowski, which I think comes out in 1999, but it's mm-hmm. set in 1991. <laughs> 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 and it's probably, they want to make a certain use of the Iraq war. They want, But still, it's pretty funny that they set it back, whatever, eight years. <laughs> totally. And yeah. this does have a Lebowski-esque quality, doesn't it? A kind of yeah. just like rolling. Yeah. I can still remember that also being called a shaggy dog story with no significant structure. And of course, it's... <laughs> well, I won't even go into it, but it is in that case. Yes, it was meant to seem very loose and episodic, but it's it's borrowing from Raymond Chandler's, um, um, you know, brilliant take on Los Angeles in many many of his novels, where that's the, that is the film noir structure. You're mo- usually moving in a city mm-hmm. into all these different enclaves with wildly different characteristics and types of people having all of these crazy encounters, and the figure of the. T- I'm going on about this. All right. The figure of yeah. the detective in this case played by, you know, the dude <laughs> is yeah. supposed to be the social glue. The only one who can navigate all of these things and make sense of them right. um, is the figure of the, of the um, anti-hero private detective. Anyway. So is- yes, you certainly get that looser, more rambling, where are we now? What's happening now? Episodic quality um, that characterizes Big Lebowski. Yeah. Well, so is Ethan Cohen the funny one? And is Joel is Joel the serious one? I don't fucking know. I mean, I read that in astonishment. It was uh, it was the critic A. A. Dowd, and I'm forgetting a shoot. I was it for Vulture? I think it was Vulture. It was Vulture. Okay. Yeah. Um, saying, well, now essentially, now we know <laughs> that it's Ethan who's the funny one, and you know, we know from Joel Cohen making Tragedy of Macbeth that Joel Cohen must be the serious, solemn formalist. Mm-hmm. While Ethan is just the nutty, throw it, cast it all to the winds kind of <laughs> um, a, a raucous guy. Uh, I don't think you can possibly say that. I certainly would never dare to say which one is. Which. They worked so <laughs> close together for so many years. Literally, people who worked with them said on their films that they directed together, you could go to either one and mm. get the same answer. This is how united they were in their vision. Woo! Like, it didn't matter. Ethan Cohen, you ask either one. Because, you know, crews always panic about that. They hate having two directors. Like, who's, right. they want to know who do I ask. Um, so, yeah, either one and same answer. Uh, completely united. But on the other hand, Ethan Cohen did say, when, you know, they first started making films separately, he did say, well, yeah, or at least it was reported. I can't remember if he said it or it was reported that he had said that, you know, Tragedy of Macbeth wasn't something he would ever want to do. He's just mm. not you would never have been interested in going there. So clearly there's some divergence in, you know, what they care about. But the sure. idea that <laughs> Ethan Cohen is the funny one and Joel is, is the sober sides is that they can make, you can make no sense of their, of their shared history. If you try to go down that road. Yeah, totally. And it's only based on one film from one, each. <laughs> exactly. After, yeah. you know, 30 years. Decades, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Filmmaking. So yeah, that was hilarious, but very different. Typical. This is why Joel and Ethan Cohen were considered such hard interviews as with American journalists. They hated talking to American journalists because American journalists were always trying to figure them out personally. Mm. And the question that they would always be asked is, do you ever fight? People were just desperate to know that they fundamentally disagreed to the point that they would fight during, <laughs> during filmmaking. And they'd always say the same thing. We never, we don't fight. We never fight. <laughs> to the point, there's no story. Cohen would get a little testy. Someone asked him once, you know, are you always, is, are there any questions you hate getting asked? And he said, well, if I never get asked again, if Ethan and I fight, it'll be too soon, basically. So right. that kind of thing. He says, European journalists will actually fawn all over our work and ask really intricate, involved questions about our films. Then we come to America and it's like, do you, do you, do you ever fight? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, it's very disheartening. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, but I guess I just, I'm, I, I'm more impressed. Well, I shouldn't be because you know I'm, I've been 
almost alarmingly in sync, at least in my own mind, with the Coen brothers from the beginning of their <laughs> careers. But it's just been such a relief to, to, to go, no, this is exactly what I'm in the mood for right now. But apparently I'm alone. And I feel this culturally more and more like I appear to be marching off on a path toward greater, greater in isolation. In, in, isolation in terms of especially attitudes toward film. I just feel like really this Oppenheimer fawning. It just... I know it's silly oh. to fixate on it, and I try to avoid reading it, but I just clutch my head over this shit. Yeah. It, don't even... I, I, it's so... Un, whatever. We both know... Look, this was a boring-ass year for films, okay? Oh. I feel like Killers yeah. of the Flower Moon and, and Oppenheimer are two of the most boring films ever and made. I'm so sorry, Martin Scorsese. No, I'm so sorry. Exactly. And we really do <laughs> value that Scorsese really is, you know, he's a great filmmaker. But yes, he, is. he was never so boring and repetitive in his fucking Fuck, it was a boring-ass year for movies. Yeah, um, and, the, you know, the only lights in the darkness were, I, look, I was happy to be in the theater for Barbie, okay? <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> so for fun that I, and I feel it very strongly, that my whole viewpoint is, is can you could very readily say is distorted. Because I'm yeah. just so desperate for, like, cinematic experiences that are not like the ones that are being shoved at us all the time which i just hate now i just am reviewing i'm in the middle of i haven't finished it yet but i have to finish it today the bob marley movie which is a surprise oh, yeah. just a huge fucking hit oh it looks really fun did you oh, like God. it well yeah. um, <laughs> if you don't if yeah. you don't care about the politics at all because you know naturally those that's out um oh. And how you do Bob Marley while insisting, you know, he's just for peace and love. Shut up. You can't never mind. But oh, yes, he can in a biopic. That's where you're most likely to say. He literally one of his first lines is about, you know, his peace and unity, whatever it was called. Con, he gets to say no politics. And you're like, yeah. I just burst out laughing in the theater. I'm like, oh, <laughs> yep, announce it up front. Um, oh, my God. But anyway, it's a huge hit. And meanwhile, what's it called? Mega? Is it Megadeth? What the hell is the superhero movie? It tanked. It's not. Me- no, it's no Madam. Idea. Madam. Oh, what? Madam Web. Oh God. Madam Web. Where did I get Megadeth? Yeah. Madam Web <laughs> has been tanking. So there's all these think pieces coming out, and all these critics saying, "Oh my God, is this the death knell of the the superhero movie?" And kind of like, "Yay, the biopic!" And apparently, there's a tsunami. <laughs> Of biopics headed our way. A lot of them. Help us! No! <laughs> major figures in music. So there's an Amy Winehouse one. I saw the preview. I know. You just go, oh, God. This, Let this, her rest. Oh, exactly. Please. But there's a bunch more. And, you know, there's people cheerleading for this because, you know, as long as you can kill the superhero movie, you know, yay, biopic. But biopics suck. They're, they it's suck the, so it's arguably the worst genre out there. Terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm reading this just going, I just, it, they're killing me. They're, you're, they're trying to kill me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They hate me instinctively. They're trying to murder me. And more and more, I'm just out there writing reviews that I know everyone is, everyone's just like, yeah, I don't know. I thought I was already marginal. Oh, <laughs> how much more marginal can I get? But anyway. Well, I mean, hey, look, we've got, what, two more Cohen brother B movie lesbian films yes. to look forward to, right? There's it's a part part one of a trilogy. Well, it's a trill. It's being called a trilogy, and I'm just not clear if it's. Con- I don't think it's a continuing story, even though Margaret Qualley is starring in the the second one, which is called Honey Don't, and they're casting it right now um, in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and uh, it's yes. also got Chris Evans and Aubrey Plaza, which sounds like a pretty great cast to me. Wow! And again, it's supposed to be the second of a three part. Um, trilogy. Uh, that's what's being announced. You know, you ha- have to keep in mind that you know the Coen Brothers once did something called a Hayseed trilogy that included that <laughs> oh brother where art. You know, so their idea. Well, now I'm blanking on what the three were, <laughs> but that was one. Um, but at any rate, they, they have their own terms for what what kind of. But I think he wants again their kind of raffish, raucous um, genre B movie genre um, fun. Um, kind of experience. It's, it's, if, if I'm remembering right. There was, I think, most of the details were suppressed, but someone was saying it was more of a whodunity thing, or I don't know. It sounded like it might be heading in another direction, but that um, I don't know. It's, it's under wraps. I think. Well, I read somewhere. Let's see, where was it? Um, there's some interview where they call it a planned B B movie lesbian trilogy. So something about it's gay. So maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe it is. Maybe, maybe Margaret Qualley is, is, you know, Jamie. It, maybe this is what she says. 
Margaret says, I play a detective named Honey and Honey don't, but Honey oh. do. <laughs> well, there you go. There you go. Okay. So this is a detective thing. Great. Okay. Yeah. So this is going to be great. This, yeah. this is terrific. This sounds absolutely terrific. So all I can hope is that word of mouth will help drive away dolls um, because clearly the critics are not helping it. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. Um, and that failing that, even if it tanks, clearly they've already got this planned and I'm assuming financed because they, they're already on to the next one. That yeah. they can build their own little audience, which is always the ultimate rhetorical challenge. If the mm. audience is there, can you make it? Can you create it by doing this? That's the yeah. only other hope for me. Can we create this just so there'll be other fun fucking movies? Jesus. Yeah, guys. Oh, is it too much? Enough. Go see Driveway Dolls. <laughs> yeah, go see it's it. Fun. Just, just don't listen to the others. <laughs> to yeah. the zombie others taking over the world. Just go see it. Yeah. <laughs> if All you right. don't see it, it's going to be nothing but Killers of the Flower Moon and Oppenheimer and, yeah. until and we perish. I literally read someone saying they didn't understand why this movie was ever made. Like, again, more and more, every movie has to justify itself through an important stance. Oh, my God. Was, I was just, like, so aghast. I just, like... They, and they were saying that about May-December. That was the biggest the biggest critical claim of people who hated it. Whoa! So well, one, you know, we, I'm we sorry that they're that. stupid. <laughs> In that case, there actually was very much a, you know, important kind of culturally relevant... Yeah, we read out of that entire film that I don't know how people missed, but they sure did. Um, but just that idea that every film has to justify its existence through moral positioning or God, ethical damn. stances or I don't know what, but it's good God, good fucking God. What what are we becoming? At the, and it's at the one at the same time, we are suddenly the most blue nose priggish moralistic, you know, oh. culture. And we're just doing the worst things in the world all the time. And we've right, got exactly. <laughs> just, ah! As the world becomes more and more cruel, we need to yeah. become more and more deluded about yes. how morally upstanding we are. That's it. It's yeah. A, oh god. Oh, anyway. All right. Don't just go. Go see driveway dolls. Go see driveway dolls. Go get made. <laughs> I think we've we've done this one and we have called it Drive Away yeah. Dolls with a solemn title An Experiment in Fun. How <laughs> <laughs> that experiment works out. That is it for this episode. Thank you, our dear listeners, and of course, triple thanks to our subscribers who keep us in. And I know you think we're gonna say dildos, but we're not. <laughs> keep us in copies of Henry James's The Europeans. We're ladies. <laughs> very fine lady <laughs> you're not a subscriber yet but you like what you hear please consider signing up a patreon for all the film side content instead of just have you can follow news of the podcast on facebook instagram and twitter join us in two weeks for more fiery film suck conversation boy i'm really stretching that but oh man it's in there Gentlemen, <laughs> thanks again for listening <laughs> we love you all bye now <laughs> bye